being able to listen openly, not judge, stop our fast thinking brains from categorizing and coming and jumping to conclusions, but just sitting back, relaxing, listening, and really trying to understand what people are saying without passing that judgment or trying to decide what your own response will be to that. And if we could start right there by understanding, you know, our own preferences and how we see the world and how it's different from others and being a lot more open-minded and more globally minded, I think that would get us a huge step in the right direction. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Hello and welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day. I am CEO of James Gray Associates and we are specialist HR recruiters. Now today I'm joined by global communications consultant, TEDx speaker, trainer and accomplished author, Heather Hansen. Now for those not familiar, Heather helps top leaders like you show up, speak up and she inspires them to take action in today's rapidly changing world. Heather's passion is focused on fostering unmuted communication cultures where every voice is heard, resulting in greater inclusion, innovation, and efficiency across both remote and global teams. And you'll all know that inclusion is something we are hugely passionate about here on the HR L&D podcast. Well, Heather is founder and managing director of Global Speech Academy, a communication training and consulting firm headquartered in Singapore, and she is on a mission. Heather's mission is to empower global voices to contribute to conversations that matter. That's in business, that's in politics and in life, because she believes it's only through conscious, confident and connected communication that we can really all achieve our collective potential and peacefully solve the world's greatest challenges. And we all know that HR professionals are there to solve some of the hardest business challenges, which all contribute to the wider good. So Well, let's be honest, Heather here, and you're going to discover this during the show, is an outspoken advocate for global voices and linguistic inclusion. And that was demonstrated recently in a 2018 TEDx talk titled Two Billion Voices, How to Speak Bad English Perfectly, which is why I was really excited to invite Heather to today's show. It's a subject we have tackled before with Aisha Cowell when we talked about mastering English in in terms of business communication. And we're going to take that to a whole new level today because as part of Heather's mission as well. She also recently released her latest book titled Unmuted, How to Show Up, Speak Up and Inspire Action. And I cannot wait to delve more into that a little bit later on in the show. But for now, without further ado, welcome Heather Hansen to the HR L&D podcast. How are you feeling today? Thank you so much, Nick. What an amazing welcome. I'm so happy to be here. I'm excited for our conversation today. Super excited as well. I'm going to start with my first question, the question I ask all of my guests on the show, which is this, what do the words human resources mean to you? For me, I think it comes down to human ideas. I think that's what makes us uniquely human. They are our ideas, our thoughts, our unique brilliance. So when I think of human resources, I'm thinking of the unique ideas that people are bringing to the table and contributing to the workplace or to the world, not just the workplace, but the world. Amazing. What a great start. Well, I'm going to start then by delving straight into a big question, which I think we're going to probably unpick during the course of today's episode, (laughs) but I'm going to catch you off guard if I can. If there was one kind of top secret that you could share, which helps all businesses or all leaders to achieve really successful global communication in this new world of work that we're part of, what would that top secret be? 
Wow, that is catching me off guard. And that's a huge, <laughs> huge question. The top secret. I would have to say it has to do with staying open-minded and having a growth mindset. So being able to listen openly, not judge, stop our fast thinking brains from categorizing and coming and jumping to conclusions, but just sitting back, relaxing, listening, and really trying to understand what people are saying without passing that judgment or trying to decide what your own response will be to that. And if we could start right there by understanding, you know, our own preferences and how we see the world and how it's different from others and being a lot more open-minded and more globally minded, I think that would get us a huge step in the right direction. Great. And that's a great answer because that now leads me to a few things. You've just unpicked that slightly there. I think even within that answer, we're going to, we have to talk a little bit about bias, I think, today, because I think that mm. comes into that conversation, certainly inclusivity, yeah. but also the psychology behind language. So mm -hmm. let's start with the inclusion element, because it's something that our mm -hmm. listeners are really passionate about. Can you tell us a little bit more about the relationship between linguistic diversity and inclusion and how understanding that relationship may be really beneficial for the HR directors and leaders that are listening to the show? Yes. You know, this is a topic that really isn't talked about enough. So I'm, I'm really happy you're bringing it up and asking. So thank you for that. I think what we fail to recognize, especially in native English speaking environments, is how privileged we are to have been born into this language. Yeah. We have this language as our native language. We are comfortable. We are confident. We don't have to translate. We can just speak. And sure, we lose track of our words every now and then, but we, we don't have the same insecurities as someone who's coming to the table with it as a second, third, fourth, fifth language, or however many languages they speak. So just right off the bat, there's an element of privilege that we have in the global economy because we are English speakers. Going a step beyond that within just our native English speakers and also including non-native international speakers of English, we have a lot of bias, as, as you pointed out, right? There's, there's bias in everything and there's a lot of bias in language. And if you, you know, I'm from America, so we, I could talk about Southern American English, you know, the South, New Yorkers, New Jersey, Boston, California. And for me, each and every one of those accents brings up an immediate response in my mind, a feeling in my body, an emotion, and an idea about those types of people. And I know in the UK, this is definitely true. Absolutely. That depending on where people are from and how they sound, you know, immediately, and you have a judgment, an idea of who they are, how educated they are, how much money is in their bank account, what color their skin is. You can come to a lot of conclusions from the minute you hear a voice and how they speak. And that we know has huge impacts on inclusion in the workforce. We know that it's holding people back from being hired, just straight off the bat, yep. get, not getting hired, keeping them back from being promoted. In legal systems, we're finding judges sometimes aren't granting parole or are judging people incorrectly. Jurors are, are judging witnesses based on the way they sound and not trusting them, not thinking they are credible because they have an accent that's different wow. than their own. And this is just within native speakers. This isn't even bringing in people who have, you know, a French accent on English or a German accent on English. That gets even more complicated because think of all the movies you watched growing up. Think of the cartoons you watched. The bad guys always have an accent. It's never the good guys with the accent. It's the bad guys that are the foreigners, right? And that trains us and, and enculturates us from a very, very young age to give us different feelings about these different accents and who belongs in our tribe and who doesn't. And, and that plays out every single day in offices across the world. I'll tell you what's really interesting. And I feel just from listening to what you said there, you use the accent for always being the bad guy in a movie. Now, now you've mentioned it, it resonates. And that's obvious. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But why haven't I identified this before? 
And you know, I've had a few conversations with, with professionals like yourself that are really passionate about taking this to, to businesses to make them more aware. But I've worked in HR recruitment for nearly 20 years. And the idea of linguistic inclusion isn't something I've necessarily considered. And maybe subconsciously I, I've, I've been aware of it or I don't know. But when you, when you talk about it in the way that you just did so eloquently, I mean, you highlighted some great examples. Instantly, my mind's going all over the place. I'm picking up on everything you've said and gone, God, that's sometimes how I, I view things, particularly with the bad guys. I haven't noticed it, but it's maybe it was obvious. But why? Think of every Indiana Jones movie, right? Or, yeah, or you know, all of the action films or, yeah. And, and it's funny as well, when you look at Hollywood films, the way British accents come into play, they're either a villain or yeah. they're like the sexy doctor, you know? I mean, it just depends. And, and our relationships with accents change over time as well depending on the geopolitical landscape, who are the current global villains. You know, if you look in the past, up to the Cold War, through the 90s, you know, as we came out of that, it was always the Russian bad guys, the German bad guys. And, and yeah, I mean, now we're going full circle, but we see this play out in our media and, and in what we're fed on TV from, from a young, young, young age. It's a little scary. conscious of business leaders, because I wasn't aware of this this element as, as much as you, you brought it to the surface now. So how conscious are business leaders, HR professionals, listen to this, aware of this inclusive piece that is clearly very relevant they're and not, what are we doing to tackle it? Yeah, they're, they're not aware of it. If we look at diversity and inclusion policies, most of them are not touching on specifically language and accent, yeah. which are huge. They're, they're probably, this is one of the last remaining areas of discrimination that's totally acceptable, you know? Just recently, this is actually really interesting. I just read an article about a company that just got $35 million in funding. Really cool technology. It's basically accent translation. Okay. So imagine a photo filter or a video filter, Zoom filter, that I could show up and be black or someone who is black could show up and be white. We wouldn't, I don't think we'd ever support that. I think we'd look at that and say, why would they want to show up as white? Why would they do that? Why would they go to an interview and put on a white person filter and why would they do that? And yet that's what this technology is doing. It's saying that if you have a foreign accent or a different accent, you can basically choose from hundreds of varieties of English and you can press a button and you can sound like me, general American, or you can sound like RP, Queens English, or you can sound like you come from a very specific place. I can make my accent sound exactly like yours so that you feel connected to me and you do not have bias against me. And I'm really split on that. I think that's a little bit scary because it's allowing us to allow these biases to continue. And it just shows what a lack of awareness we have about yeah. this being really wrong. You know, <laughs> We have tech companies that are, that are raising millions of dollars to develop this kind of technology. And I don't even think they're aware. They're all non-native speakers. They've all experienced accent bias. So they are saying, you know, we're empowering people because finally they won't be judged by the way they speak. But at what cost? We have yeah. to completely, they have to give up their identity. I mean, our accents tell an entire story about us. So I find it really sad. And I think it also points to the fact that, no, we really aren't aware that this is going on. We aren't aware of what the repercussions are. We don't see it happening in the workplace. We can easily say, no, I can't hire that person. You know, they're just too hard to understand. Don't have good communication skills. When really it's tied to ethnicity and race and someone being foreign and not local or whatever the case may be. So it, it goes a lot deeper than yeah. what we're hearing today. Well, I, mm -hmm. I think based on the way you've articulated that, I'm in your camp. For me, it sounds like you're putting a, a Band-Aid on a, on a tumor, right? So you might cover yeah. the cut or something that shows, but it doesn't really treat the, the actual problem, which is the discrimination mm -hmm. that happens 
right at the, you know, yeah. the other side of it. If someone is discriminating based on an accent, you might be able to mask it through software, but ultimately when they get that job, those discriminations, then those what? prejudices are going to start resurfacing again. We haven't overcome them. I think I've got a similar view when it comes to my world of recruitment, which is a lot of people and tech companies now are removing names from CVs. And I understand the logic, yes. I can understand it, but actually mm -hmm. there's so much identity, you know, involved in, in a name. Why would you want to mask your identity, your culture, your background? When that person gets the job later on down the line, those discriminations that preventing that person potentially from getting the job because of that name are going to resurface again. We're not really solving the problem, which is education and, and inclusion, which I'm clearly very passionate about. And I, I think I'm in the same camp as you with that, with that software. I can understand it from a surface level, why it may be popular, why they may get funding, but actually it's not really solving the problem. I, I'm well, they're going to earn a ton of money off of it. The investors are very smart because they are monetizing our natural bias. And that's a, a gold mine, you know, if you can do that. So from an investor standpoint, I get it. From a business standpoint, I get it. If you can find a way to monetize the bias that already exists in the world without, in this case, people even realizing that they're doing it, <laughs> it's, it's a gold mine. So I get it. And they're applying it a lot in, for example, call centers, right? Where, you know, I'm calling from the US, complaining about my computer. It's someone in India that picks up the phone. I'm having difficulty understanding them. I'm getting more frustrated. And so they press the button, they sound like me, and I don't know the difference. And I think I'm speaking to another American. And all of the bias and frustration that might come up in that situation is suddenly not there. So I understand certain situations sure. where maybe that is useful, but still, it's that little, that fine line of hypocrisy of, okay, but shouldn't we be making people more aware of the fact they have this bias and that the yeah. problem's really with the listener? You know, the listener has to stop and say, why am I triggered by this? Why am I treating this person differently? And what does it say about me? And we aren't having those conversations quite yet. Not as widely as I would like to see them happening. Now, obviously your book, which we're going to get into more detail later on in the show, but it's titled Unmuted, How to Show Up, mm -hmm. Speak Up and Inspire Action. What I'd like to know just before we get into that, though, is what do you mean by unmuted and what's the best way to develop unmuted leaders and organizations? Yeah, so the unmuted concept is all about being able to show up as your authentic self. But I also talk in the book about authentic adaptability. So really showing up as your best self, being true to your values and speaking up in the world about concerns that matter to you. And then being able to inspire action in others to create a movement, create a following, whether that's just a campaign in the workplace or changing a policy or, or pushing a proposal through, or maybe even in your family. You know, I, I decided I wanted to write this book at the start of the pandemic when we moved into Zoom meetings and everyone was on mute. You're on mute. You're on mute. We heard it a million times. And that was when it hit me, you know, long before the pandemic, there were a lot of people who were already on mute. There have always been people sitting in our meetings on mute. It's just that now it was really obvious who they were. We weren't yeah. paying attention before, right? And how many people were feeling muted in their families, in their communities, in their workplaces? So the whole idea of unmuting is, is that I want to hear those voices. I want to hear the new ideas that we haven't been listening to because look at the state of our world. I mean, there's got to be a better way. I refuse to believe that this is the best we can do. So there must be people out there with great ideas that we haven't heard and we need them to step forward and we need to start listening to them. So being unmuted is not just about speaking up in the world. It's also knowing when to press mute and yeah. listen. And that's also a huge piece of the puzzle. So, so that's really the concept of being unmuted. And, and that's what I believe can drive more innovation, better inclusion in the workplace, and especially in global, diverse and dispersed 
teams. That's the crux of it. It raises a question for me, only because I had a, a conversation recently with the CEO of a company called Remote, and they've actually a very, mm. very fast, rapidly growing company. I spoke with the CEO, Mar- Marcello Libaro, recently. And he said, interestingly, in some of the analysis they've done from working with people on, on video and global workforces you can hire anywhere in the world now, that actually some of their findings have been that some of the people that perhaps aren't as outgoing, perhaps are more introverts, are finding a much more powerful voice in remote-based workplaces, whereas historically, when we were all based in an office, you'd have certain extroverts rise to the top, and they've seen a complete shift in that pattern. Have you, have you seen in your own work and your own findings in this unmuted yes. philosophy that actually we're seeing some introverts now really start to raise their voice and maybe turn off mute a little bit more? Yes. It was too early to write about that in the book specifically. Thanks. We didn't have the research just yet as I was writing. So that was something that we were still waiting, but we do know now that we're seeing that and I'm seeing it with my clients. And I think one of the reasons is because the communication has been slowed down. Our turn taking is different. We need to pause and reflect and people who want and need that time, they are able to take it and they have more choice in when they speak up, how they speak up, how they formulate their thoughts. People who are not as confident to speak off the cuff can come with something prepared that's written. And it's a lot easier to read or look at notes when we're in this situation, then if you're sitting around a boardroom table and you have a pile of notes in front of you, then you feel self-conscious to refer. So for people who do want to say things in a very specific way or are a little bit more thoughtful or need a little bit more time, we are seeing them have a, a stronger voice at the table. And I think it's also easier for us to kind of mute the louder voices because, you know, when, when we have people who are very confident and very connected, sometimes if they're lacking that conscious element, that conscious communication of reading the room and and, and seeing the people who aren't speaking, they may get too loud. And so in the online space, it's a little bit easier to see that happening and to say, oh, wait, hey, Jill, we haven't heard from you yet, you know, and, yeah. and pull people into the conversation. I think something, and this is my own analysis, something that I've, I've identified from doing interviews with people like yourself. And I, th- I don't know if this is part of the, the algorithm, for want of a better word, as to why introverts go more to the surface. Mm-hmm. But I found when now we, we are working with global recruitment, global hiring managers, I can meet yourself in a stateside or in Singapore, wherever you might be. Actually, the conversations now are much more focused on eye contact. When you're in a, a group scenario, you often don't have eye contact shared in quite the same way that we have on video. And I can see right into your eyes now, we can have that eye-to-eye contact, which allows you to have, I think, a little bit more power in the, in the message that we're trying to convey. You feel like you're being listened to more, or you're more aware if someone isn't listening to you as well. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's really having an impact. I know there's a lot of psychology behind language and body language in particular, and how people are perceived. I wonder if in terms of your research, you know, how that kind of language, body language, eye contact is, is helping the world change the way that they are thinking or or viewing others? That's a tough one because I see a lot happening on online as far as eye contact is concerned, because a lot of people, most people do not feel very comfortable looking into this camera. So most of my clients are looking at their screens. They're looking at their notes on the screen. They're looking at the person's face down in the bottom corner and they're talking to them like that. And they aren't realizing that they aren't making eye contact until they look up into the camera. And so in some cases we're losing that eye contact. The other thing that we're losing is gaze in a group conversation, which is what makes the turn taking a little more difficult because when we want to hold the floor during a meeting, we often will look down or break eye contact while we're speaking so that people don't try to jump in. (laughs) And it's once we look up and we kind of signal that we finished, then they know it's their turn to start. And we're losing this kind of gaze. Also, you know, just when we direct a comment to someone in the room, through our gaze. And so 
when we're online, we don't have that because I can be looking into the camera and I can be gazing and connecting with 500 people at one time. That is the actual power of online communication from a speaking perspective is yeah. that you have impact and influence with each and every person on that call. Whereas if you were in a room, you would have to break eye contact with everyone and look around and just have these little milliseconds, right? So, so there are real big pros and cons, but at least with my clients and, you know, I'm also based here in Singapore and in an Asian context, I'm finding that people are having a really difficult time feeling comfortable looking at the camera and they want to look at notes. They want to stare at their slides or the person on the screen, forgetting that the, the eye contact is in what I call the black hole, which is yeah. so unnatural to stare into the black hole, but it makes such an enormous difference in the feeling that you give the person on the other end, right? So it's, it's an interesting one. I don't think we have it totally figured out yet until, you know, they design a camera right in the middle of the, the laptop. Yeah, why don't you it? It seems like such an <laughs> innovation, right? Put it in the middle of the screen, <laughs> behind, behind the lens. It's, yeah, it would solve a lot of problems, I'm sure. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Really interesting in, in the book, in my research for, for this podcast, is I saw a statement you made where you said communication is not a skills problem solved by more training. It's that more about being at the core of who we are and the company cultures that we make and that we're involved in. I wonder if you could just bring that to life a little bit for the listeners. I found that statement really fascinating. Yeah, that was the frustrated learning and development practitioner that was coming out in that statement because, you know, for 15 years, I've been doing communication, training, coaching, running workshops, and it becomes you know, a vendor relationship where every year HR sits down and they do their performance discussions and they decide, okay, what are the skills that are lacking? What training do we need? And then it becomes ticking the boxes. Okay, let's get Heather to come in and do a presentation skills course. And let's give this person some one-on-one -on -one articulation training. Let's give these people some workshops on empathy and cross-cultural communication. And it's just ticking the boxes. And I go in for a day, I run a day seminar and I leave. And after 15 years of that, I know that it's not creating the impact that I would like it to create. That's not the way behavior changes. And so I feel like, you know, we're sitting here dumping more and more skills training on people in order to build their confidence, their skills confidence, without looking at the other pieces of the puzzle, the conscious communication, the what is your perspective of the world? What are your biases? How are you different from others? How are cultures different? And then also the connection piece, connected communication of what kind of culture do you have in the organization? Is it psychologically safe? Do people feel good about speaking up and are they allowed to have differing opinions or are they shot down? Because if we don't have those supportive cultures and, and ideas and discussions, it doesn't matter how much presentation skills training I dump on them. If they're scared to speak up, they aren't going to use it. It's never going to pay off. So what's the point? We have to start looking at more holistically. It has to be all the pieces, not just the one skill that is improved or else it's not going to really create change or be successful for the organization. So what would be, just play devil's advocate then, what would be your protocol for approaching this kind of skills training of, you know, HR recognized as a communication problem somewhere within their organization? Mm -hmm. What would be the, the protocol you would recommend they follow to try and overcome that as opposed to bringing someone in for a one-day workshop or one-day seminar? What would, would be the, 
the alternative. Yeah, option. well, we're what we're starting to do now, and and what my company is really shifting to, and my own work is shifting to, is these unmuted transformations. So we're looking at it more as a culture change than as a specific training gap, and that I think is the more strategic role that HR is also beginning to play. And companies that are enabling HR, empowering HR to be more strategic, to direct culture, I think that they can be much more successful in creating inclusion and innovation and all these other great things that we're trying to achieve in the workplace because it is so much more than just a skill. So in these unmuted transformations, it really does need to start at the top. So we're going in to do facilitated discussions with top leadership to get them on board, to make sure they're aligned, to talk about what does an unmuted workplace look like for you. But in addition to the leadership being on board and trickling this down and creating a more safe environment, it also needs to come from the bottom up. People also do need to press that unmute button. I mean, in some cases, it is just a confidence issue. They could be in a really supportive environment with conscious and connected people, but it's simply themselves that are still holding themselves back. And it's up to them to press unmute. So we're also running social campaigns throughout the company. We're doing webinars. We're talking about building confidence and speaking up and, and in developing our ideas and what does the culture of the company mean and what, what is it, how does it feel? And, and so it's, it's about, and of course, training is part of it. Training is part of it because in that process that you then realize, okay, what are the real gaps? And then you can address those when they arise. But I think we're doing it backwards by starting with the skill gap instead of saying, well, why do we have that gap? Is it the yeah. individual? Is it the culture? Is it the community? So there's just a lot more to it. And I think if HR is allowed to, to have a larger strategic role, then they're able to make those larger decisions and create greater change. Also doing social network analysis, using data analysis to find out where are the connections, who's communicating, who's left out of the discussion. We can actually do that today with, with big data and computing through simple surveys and finding out who's connected to whom, who trusts whom. And, and just starting there, they can identify who are the real influencers in the company because they typically are not leadership. It's, you know, John in accounts, yeah. Mary in HR, and, you know, who remembers your birthday and your kids' names, right? So, so there, there is a lot more that we can be doing than just trying to focus on skills, skills, skills. Presumably, it is a piece of the puzzle, but it's the last piece. Presumably, sometimes you must go into organizations, actually, and you're trying to unmute people, but actually... It's not that they don't want to be unmuted. They must sometimes feel like they are being muted by the exactly. corporation. But interestingly, I would imagine I'm making an assumption that if they're feeling muted at work, that message, they, they, that means they become unmuted at home. And then there's a brand issue there potentially, because if you can't talk up about your frustrations at work, you're going to, you're going to let that valve open somewhere else. But how yeah, you I think you're probably that? very right about that. I think yeah. you're very right about that. You know, that's when people go to Glassdoor and <laughs> leave horrible well, yeah, reviews absolutely. about their employer. You know, I mean, you're in recruitment, you've seen it all. And, and I think you're right about that, that they, they do become unmuted elsewhere when they're forced into a toxic environment. They have a horrible boss. They aren't allowed to speak freely. They aren't allowed to show up as their full selves. And, and we see that happening. And now we have a name for it. It's the great resignation. I mean, people aren't putting up with it anymore. It's the great okay. awakening, right? Yeah. They, they, they aren't willing to put up with that anymore. And we, that's the biggest shift we've seen these last two years is, you know, people want to be themselves. They want to be their full self at work. They want to have empathy and understanding, and they want leaders with humility who are vulnerable, who are real. They want human, human interaction, not this professional mask that we put on to pretend we're perfect and we know all the answers because yeah. we don't, none of us do. We're not perfect. 
it's amazing as well to see that that kind of group mentality that people don't know other people in, involved in this great resignation, but just knowing that it's happening on mass gives people the confidence to make yeah. the same decisions for themselves. It's been a really interesting phenomenon for us to watch as recruiters in particular. The Great Awakening is oh, how I we bet. would term it, which has been really interesting. So yeah, yeah. I like calling it, that an awakening. Yeah. Yeah. To turn on its head, you mentioned that you tend to start your facilitation from the top down. So how would CEOs and C-suite leaders, and HR directors and leaders listening to this, what do they need to do to help encourage a real culture of open listening? They need to start practicing it themselves, first of all. <laughs> That's usually the first step. You know, the way that the leaders are interacting and the 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 precedent that they're setting in the workplace is usually the, what is trickling down to everyone else. So as they start changing their behavior, they start sharing their stories, they start becoming more vulnerable. I think this really came out a lot during the pandemic. You know, a lot of leaders came to me saying, what do I do? What do I do? I, I, I need to be more human, but I don't know what to do, <laughs> which is so funny because it's like, why not? You know? And well, is it okay for me to talk about my family? Is it okay for me to share these things? It's like, of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? And, and now I think we're much more open to that in the workplace than we were before. So leaders I've been working with have started doing things like a weekly video that's just on their phone. And they just record themselves on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, send it out Monday morning. And it's just a check-in with the team and maybe telling a story about something that happened over the weekend, something they were thinking about, maybe something with their family, maybe something work-related, but just developing a little bit more personable and personal relationship with your people. And I think that's really where it starts. People will not feel that they can unmute and speak up until they see their leaders doing the same thing. And as long as leaders are trying to stay behind that ultra-professional mask of, I have the answers, it's very difficult for other people to start speaking up. So that's what has to start at the top. The understanding that they need to be the leaders in, in the behaviors they want to see. And then also really monitoring their responses when people do come to them. You know, we, I think about this a lot, like with my kids, right? You know, I want my kids to be unmuted. I want them to speak up. But then if they say something and my immediate reaction is, I don't want to hear about that TikTok, yeah. right? I mean, then what am I doing, right? I mean, I'm going exactly against everything I stand for. And so, and that's so easy to do. It's so easy to do as a parent, as a boss, as a leader. You know, we think that we are encouraging one kind of behavior, but then when they come forward with that behavior, we then shoot it down and we press it down, we suppress it. So we have to be really careful to monitor ourselves and our reactions as well. Yeah, that's a really, really, really good point. And actually, I, I, I made a note here on the video piece. That's something I can do, right, with my own team. There's nothing stopping me from doing a little personalized video. I think it humanizes us as leaders as well, which I think yeah. is a good thing. Be able to show empathy when it's needed. And, you know, these are things mm -hmm. I think sometimes are lacking when you when you think you're in this, these kind of more senior leadership roles. And it's hard to show some of those qualities. But actually, yeah. it's, it's a, there's so many positives to come on, come on the back of it. Clearly, I want to talk a little bit about your book, because it does seem that professional communication at the moment is becoming more and more complex. You know, the world of work has changed. Sometimes we're leading with, you know, through video and through global teams. Some people are still in the office. It's become so complex. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about the book itself, about how we can kind of unpick some of that complex complexity to help people to show up, speak up and inspire actions. Tell us a little bit more about the book. Oh, well, thanks for asking. Yeah, the book centers around a fr the unmuted framework, which is a Venn diagram. And it's those three pieces that we've been talking about, the conscious, confident, and connected communication. And it's only when we have all three of those pieces that we can be truly unmuted. You, you need to be conscious of your surroundings, be thinking about inclusion, be listening to others consciously. And then you need the confidence to press unmute when you need to have the skills confidence and the self-confidence. And then you need that connected environment. You need to feel that you belong 
and that you have good relationship skills and you have those human skills to build those stronger relationships in the workplace. So what's interesting are those overlaps, right? So if you're, you're confident and connected, but not conscious, your voice can become too loud. And if you're confident and conscious, but you don't have the connection, that's usually a toxic and a toxic environment that isn't psychologically safe. That's when people press mute completely. Maybe they've tried speaking up. They're confident. They want to share their ideas, but they're shot down every time. So they finally say, forget it. And that's probably the biggest waste of human resources. Those wonderful ideas, as I, yeah. as we started talking about, that's the biggest waste in the world. And then we have the people who are conscious and connected, but are just lacking the confidence and they keep their voices very quiet. And they don't always speak up and they have great ideas and everybody supports them, but the self-worth or the skills confidence is lacking. Maybe it's a foreign language issue. Maybe they're just worried they don't have the skills and they're just being a bit too quiet. So we need to encourage them. So, so the book is broken into those three sections and we talk about, you know, how to become more conscious, more confident and more connected so that we can balance those different areas. And one thing I really wanted to happen with this book is I didn't want it to just be a book. I wanted it to be a little bit more interactive and more of an experience. So there is a QR code in the book where you can do an unmuted assessment to find out where are you in the, in the diagram and what can you do and what areas of the book can help you most. And then each chapter has a video that goes with it along with a discussion guide that you can use with your teams or use as your own reflection guide. And then we finally have an implementation action guide for organizations that want to start this unmuted transformation. So lots and lots of free resources in this little book, because it is a quite short book. I did the audio version of it. It's a five hour read <laughs> in audio. So I know for a fact, five hours, 21 minutes. So it is a shorter book and I have a lot of this accompanying material to help you apply it and implement it. Well, it sounds like an absolutely fantastic resource if you're working in the world of HR and you really want to you know, be more inclusive and open up the, the world of linguistic inclusion as well, which I think is really important. Mm -hmm. you've, you've highlighted a great way of doing that through the three different sort of Venn diagram opportunities mm -hmm. there. Just let everybody know if you are interested in getting a copy of this book, it's available on Amazon. There is a link in my show notes. You can go straight through to it and purchase your copy straight away. There's a link in the show notes. So it's right here right now. So do grab yourself a copy. It, it's, it'll, it could really change the way that HR hopefully and businesses look to communicate in the future. I'm going to ask you if I can, without giving too much away from the book though, Heather, are there any kind of tools or tips or anything that helps maybe identify some of those three areas for an HR team listening to this now? Maybe they're going into a meeting and they haven't got time to get the book beforehand, but they want to, something's really resonated and they want to say, actually, I want to mm -hmm. identify if this person is someone who is connected or whatever it might be. I wonder if you could just give mm -hmm. us some tips. Well, I think a lot of times we have a gut feeling about how certain, where people are in that equation, but what's also really important to remember is that we can shift. So just because your voice might be too loud at work, doesn't mean it's too loud at home, or maybe you're too cool. loud with friends and family, and then you go to work and you completely change. I mean, for me personally, I can definitely lean towards too loud, believe it or not. <laughs> and when I'm speaking English now. When I was living in Denmark, I'm married to a Dane. We speak Danish at home. I'm fluent in Danish. Wow. But in a business situation, I close down. And I am not very confident to speak up. And I will press that mute button. And it takes me longer to raise my hand. It takes me longer to speak up. I really have to build myself up to do it, even though I know my Danish is fine. But I think so many years of having people say, oh, what a charming accent and, oh, where are you from? And just constantly, which these are micro inequities, by the way. I mean, this is, this is what we're talking about, you know, sure. uh, linguistic inclusion. It, we aren't just talking about English. It's every single language. This happens everywhere in every language. And so I've been the victim of this accent bias, but I've also been incredibly privileged with a basically general American accent in, globally. So 
So when I have to speak up in a meeting in Danish, I'm a very different person. And I often say, if you don't know me in English, you really don't know me because my personality is very different in a Danish context. So it's interesting. And it, that takes a lot of awareness from a leadership perspective to think, okay, well, is this a language issue? Is this something else going? Is there something else going on? Is this how the person is socially? Because maybe, you know, you do that team building day and the person gets two drinks and suddenly it's like, whoa, I had no idea. You know? <laughs> and so we know people have many different sides and it's very possible in that work situation. They could be louder than normal or quieter than normal or muting themselves. And that isn't their true personality. So keep that in mind that Every conversation, we're working on negotiating meaning with each other, and we're developing that relationship. And there are so many different things that are happening at once. And, and this conscious, confident, connected, it shifts, it shifts. And we move around that diagram, depending on who's in the room, the context, the subject, the language. I'm so glad I asked the question, because it, when you were giving me that example, something resonated with me. And I, I think this holds true even for, for adults, but I'm thinking of my son, right? So his, he doesn't work, obviously, he goes to school, but that's his work environment. So. When he's mm -hmm. at school, we had his, only literally last week, we had his teacher assessment day and we get to find out all about him. And they were saying, oh, we wish he'd speak up a bit more. He's a little bit quiet. He's very attentive, <laughs> always focused, very good. Yep. Stickers. Mm -hmm. And I said, he's nothing like that at home. At home, he's loud. He's running around. Tearing <laughs> up the place, right? Yeah. So that's a great I have example. a couple of kids like that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, mean, I know it. Environment. He puts his work head on <laughs> and he's a little bit shyer. You bring him home. So we're different people at different times, aren't we? I think you've, you've articulated yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Really. But absolutely fascinating conversation. I'm so glad I brought you to the show. I hope everyone goes and grabs a copy of that book. I said it is in the show notes. I will also put a link to some of your TEDx talks and other bits and pieces as well. But I wonder if we can just open the vault. Opening the L&D vault. So five short, sharp questions to finish the show. First question is this. In hindsight, what is one thing you now know that you'd wish you'd known when you began your career? Ooh, I would say the importance of networks the importance of networks and building relationships. I think I've always known that at the core, but I think I put a lot more energy into it now and I'm more specific about who I build relationships with and, and who I give my time to. And I, I wish I had known that a little bit more clearly at the start of my career. Very nice. If you could give one piece of advice to the world, what would it be? One piece of advice. These are tough questions. One piece of advice to the world. Probably the same as what we started with, right? It's just keep an open mind. Be less judgmental. Try to be accepting. Yes. When you find yourself judging someone, ask yourself why. Why is that triggering you? What, what is it about your upbringing, your culture, your background that, that makes you judge the person for that? Be more accepting. Yeah. I'm not sure there are many better answers than that, Heather. I mean, I, I'm fully endorsed uh -huh. that response. I think it's great. I mean, we, I've done a previous podcast. We talk about things like stress, but stress is how we interpret the, a response that then obviously triggers medical. I'm not saying there isn't yes. a, a, a physical response, but it starts with our mental interpretation of a response to an action and actually if you take a breath and just do a little bit more open-minded sometimes the stress just eases a little bit more so i think it's a wonderful yeah. response if you had the opportunity what advice would you give to a younger you just starting out in this new vuca world of work oh gosh yeah it is vuca that's for sure <laughs> i think it would be to always always speak up keep pressing on mute know what I stand for and, and really stand for that. Don't be afraid to voice my opinions, even if it's in another language, because there are many of those situations where I just held myself back, especially in other languages. Also, when I studied abroad in German and, you know, so I've been in many situations like that. And looking back, it's like everyone there was supportive. They were on my side. They wanted to hear my ideas. And I was the only one holding myself back. 
And I wish that I had been stronger, stronger to, to speak up and, and fight for things that I knew were right and, and press my opinions forward as well. Excellent. Sure. Fantastic. And last but not least, what is the guiding principle behavior that you've seen in every great leader? I know you've worked with a number of great leaders, but what is the one guiding principle behavior you've seen in every great leader that you have worked with? This might be cheating. I think I'm putting two together, but I would say, well, I'll create one empathetic listening. I was thinking empathy and listening, but it's empathetic listening. So the greatest leaders I know of, and I include my husband as one of these who's worked his way from the ground floor. He has a technical degree as a welder. And in 20 years, he's worked himself up to being the director of operations for all of Asia Pacific for an engineering company, the same wow. one he started in as Amazing. a 17-year-old. And so I consider him to be this type of person who knows how to listen. You have to, to be married to me, right? <laughs> but he knows how to go into a room and he really observes. And, and that's why I say empathetic listening, because he has the empathy. He, he's able to see someone for who they are, listen to them at a deeper level, feel what they're feeling, connect with them. And I think that is the most basic human skill that we are born with, and we're all capable of it. But some people have really tapped into that. And I think all the greatest leaders I've met are incredibly good listeners, and they make people feel heard. They make people feel that they belong. And that is when people want to follow you, because that's the respect that you give them, and they in turn want to follow and respect you and your ideas. So that would, that would definitely be it. No, that's a great response. Well, genuinely, I think a lot of listeners are going to want to follow you, Heather. I've had a wonderful time listening to your responses. I love your energy. I love your passion for inclusivity on a subject that's often overlooked. I hope everyone goes out and buys your book. I hope everybody unmutes themselves, even if it's just for 20 seconds after listening to this. There's something you've got to say. Be brave for 20 seconds. Unmute yourself yeah. for a moment and bring those things that really everyone else is you know, passionate about and are scared to bring to the surface. Bring them out and hope they have empathetic listeners at the end of those conversations to take those voices seriously. But thank you ever so much for joining me today on the show. Of course, I will put a link in the show notes to Heather's website, which you can find now at heatherhanson.com. There'll be a link to her bio, a link to her LinkedIn page, and of course her book, which is Unmuted, How to Show Up, Speak Up, and Inspire Action. There'll also be some other links to her YouTube channels and TEDx talks as well. So please do check out the show notes. And of course, if you are an HR L&D professional listening to this podcast and you need support with a specific HR-related vacancy, and you need the support of a specialist HR recruiter, please do get in touch with either myself or any of my wonderful team at JJ Recruitment Group. You can find our links as well in the show notes. Just need to say one more huge thank you to Heather Hansen for joining me today. And thank you to all of you for listening to this show. And I look forward to bringing you the next episode real soon. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Thanks so much, Nick. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.